Isn't that a beautiful song? Yesterday, Jill and I were in New Ulm, and uh, Jill sang that song at a funeral. A family in our church lost their infant full term, and uh, it reminded me was out of that, and sort of through this week, was talking to Chris Willard on our staff, who's been on, on staff 10, 11 years, and he was saying, we're, we're in a season of more sort of pain and death and sickness than he's seen in his time here in the last probably three, four, five, six months. And I think it's one of those times where as a community we just say, um, be aware of that. It's important that we gather and we worship and we face forward and we sing songs and we look to the cross. Um, But it's really important that we're in each other's lives, that we are noticing the pain and we're noticing the trials and uh, we're not just noticing we're there. We're there to be with people or there to walk through uh, whatever they're going through. So please, Crossview Covenant Church, be in each other's lives. Amen? Well, it is good to see everybody here who doesn't have a cabin on Memorial Day weekend. (laughs) Out of pastors. Not being a true Minnesotan, I didn't realize the power of cabins in Minnesota, but... I was told Memorial Day is the, the service where for those people who have cabins, we come, we gather, we feel bad about ourselves, and uh, it is good to be together, though. So it is so good to see all of you here. A couple of things before we jump in the Word. Um, as I'm doing it, you can turn to John chapter 9. We're, we're going to have a lot of fun this morning. It's a great text. John chapter 9. A couple of things. One is you've noticed that we have, uh, we're making four different hires right now as we head in the summer, which makes a lot of sense to hire four people at once. But uh, over the last year or two, as we've looked at our children's ministries and we've looked at what we need, what needs to go on there, uh, we've realigned some things. So there's three hires that we're doing in children's ministries. I encourage you to check that out. If you know somebody that might be good for it, point them towards that. And then also, we've been talking for a good while about this community life pastor hire, which is a really, really big deal. And uh, so we have a search committee that has been put together, and they are in the process of working. We're working with a search firm from up in the cities, and uh, we're an exciting place. Our hope is maybe by the end of June to actually have some candidates that we would meet with. And at that point, let me sort of explain to you process, because this matters both as you pray that the right man or woman comes along. Um, but it matters in uh, how we do life as a church. So what happens is the search committee goes through this whole process, finds the right person. They present that person to our church council. Our church council is sort of our governing board. Um, Some of these words, for those of you who haven't been around church, I'm sure this is like, okay, I'm confused, draw me a map. But uh, the council then takes that recommendation from the committee they vote on it, and then they present it to you, the church. Uh, for the, those that are members, you actually end up voting on it. So the person would come out for a candidating weekend, uh, similar to what I did a couple of years ago. And uh, then at the end of that, a week, more than likely about a week later, we would vote as a church to call that person. So please be in prayer uh, that the right person comes along. And uh, it's an exciting time. God's doing some, some really cool things here, but it's a busy time as well. So, um, And lastly, it's Memorial Day weekend. And so we gather and we remember and we thank God for those who have served and lost lost their lives defending our freedom. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, as we open your word, um, there's so much, I think, going on in hearts and lives in this room, God. Um, Would you please allow us not to get rid of that, God, but to allow you into it, whatever it is whether it's pain or sin or just something we're bringing in. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's joy. But God, would you allow each person to simply open their hands, open their hearts, 
and allow you to come in this morning. Pray this in your name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. All God's people said? Okay, John. By the way, the, uh, this summer there will be more kids in the room than normal. And just so you know, when a kid cries or when a kid says something, all they're saying is amen, Pastor Brad. So um, when you hear a sound, that's what they're saying, and it's really good. Wayfinding series, we are going to be done at the end of the summer, at the end of August. And we are in this series where we're trying to get a big picture overview of Scripture. And uh, so that we can more faithfully live out God's story. And we, for the last couple of months, are finally in the New Testament, thank God. And we are in John chapter 9. And John chapter 9. So we're going to read down, talk through it, so that we can understand it more clearly. But John chapter 9, at the end of the day, is an illustration based on chapter 8, verse 12. Which says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So chapter 9 becomes an illustration of saying, if that's true, then this is how it looks. And so that's what we're going to jump into as we read and talk down through this. Here we go. Verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because his own sins or his parents' sins? Which big theological question of the day. Jesus comes back. It was not because of his sin or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We're going to talk for a couple of minutes. This is not the point of the text, but it's important for us to learn from Jesus how he interacts here with an issue of the day. So Exodus 34 verse 7 says this, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. Listen, I lay the sins of the parents upon the children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. So in this time in the first century, based on this text, there was theological questions around what about people who were born sick? Basically for us, it's conversation about the problem of evil, the reality of suffering. And the disciples are walking down the road and they want to get Jesus into the conversation. They want Jesus' take on one of the big theological issues of the day. And by the way, it's one of the big theological issues of our day, right? We want to know why suffering, why pain exists. The funeral yesterday, one of the things that the couple had talked about is how many of their friends were saying, why you, why this, why pain, why did God do this? And this beautiful young couple is like, there's no answer and that's not the point. And so what Jesus comes back and says almost the exact same thing, he refuses to get into this interpretation battle. Like, I'm not going to enter into this, but he decides that this is a chance to show compassion. So he's not going to even engage in the debate. And he essentially says this is not about God's punishment. It's not a matter of some irrational chance that this happened. But this is an opportunity for us to do God's will, to actually do something that matters. Friends, it's good learning for us. Many of us are prone to jump into the debate, to jump into the conversation. Let's figure it out. We have to have it nailed down. And I think the invitation more often than not is to jump in and love. To be the person that shows compassion when someone's in pain. So here's what it looks like for Jesus. Verse 4. 
We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. It's so cool. Chapter 9 of John, Jesus already, the disciples are following him. He's not saying, I have to carry out the task that the Father gave me. He's saying, already, you guys are with me. We have to carry out the job that we have been given us. The night is coming when no one can work, most likely some type of cryptic reference to the cross and what's going to happen there. And he's saying, but while I am here in this world, I am the light of the world. And then here it is. Here's the miracle. I'm trying to, I mean, if you have to close your eyes, try and imagine how just crazy this miracle is. Then he spit on the ground. So they've noticed the guy standing there. Jesus said, I'm not going to jump into theological debate. This is a chance for the power of God, for compassion to happen. Jesus must have leaned down on the side of this dirt road next to this guy who's been blind since birth, and he's a beggar. So he leans down, and here's what Jesus does. Spits on the ground. Makes sense. Made mud with the saliva. I mean, for those of you who are kids in this room, I mean, this is like sort of gross, right? Us adults maybe don't get this. So he spits in the ground, makes mud with his saliva, and spreads the mud over the blind man's eyes. Now just stop here for a sec. If you're the blind man, you don't totally know. In fact, you can't see. So you don't really understand who this guy is. He decides to make a, a little pool of mud with his own spittle. Takes that, wipes it on your eyes. Kids, are we getting gross enough for you yet? Wipes it on the blind man's eyes. And, and the guy has to be on some level overwhelmed, wondering what in the heck is going on. And then on the other side, a little intrigued. Like, this probably doesn't happen all the time. And then here's Jesus' follow-up. So Jesus tells him, the pool of Siloam, by the way, is a good walk away. So Jesus says, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus says, go and wash yourself. There's no promise he's going to be healed. Jesus didn't say, go there, and when you get there, you're going to be healed. Jesus says, go and do this. And the man, for some reason, based on this absolute desire and need for some level of hope, imagines that maybe something is going to happen. He does it, he comes back, and he can actually see. Verse 8. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the one. So this, this creates a ton of commotion in the city. I mean, neighbor, it's the talk of all the neighborhoods. You're out back talking to your neighbor next door, and this is the conversation. Did you hear what happened? We think it's him, but maybe it's not him. It's the Pharisees that are interested. The neighbors are talking about it. The parents are going to be brought into the story. The blind beggar is part of the story. In verse 10, they asked. So this is the neighbors. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud. And he, by the way, he's not telling anybody about the spit part. He's going to sit with the mud. It'd be intriguing. It underlined the different references that this previously blind man makes about Jesus. This progression of his believing and understanding uh, who Jesus is is so, so, so interesting. So the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, and told me, go to the pool of Siloam, wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, again, <laughs> it, it, it's so good as well. Like, 
This guy has interacted with the living God. He's been healed. He can see. He's never been able to see. And when he goes and tells people what happened, all, all he can say is the obvious. Like, put mud on my eyes. I went and did what he said, and now I can see. That's the story. Similar story, by the way, in John chapter 5. A pool, a healing, and a big debate about it happening on the Sabbath. Verse 16. So some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God. For he's working on the Sabbath. And, and understand from them, they're, they're not just trying to be mean to Jesus. Their love of the law means that somebody who works on the law, even if they heal, must be doing something wrong. But it's crazy enough that he heals a blind man that some of them say, if you read further on, but how could an ordinary sinner do much, such miraculous things? So there was deep division of opinion among them. Verse 17. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had, been who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. So he called him Jesus. Now maybe he's a prophet. Pro prophet simply is an agent of God, sent by God. So maybe he's a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and now could see. So they called his parents. They asked is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he is old enough to speak for himself. And it says, it gives us why they responded that way. They're afraid that the Jewish leaders would kick them out of the synagogue. So we come to verse 23 and that's why they said he is old enough, ask him. Verse 24. For the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And remember, we just talked about that. They think he's a sinner because he's doing work on the Sabbath. You don't do work on the Sabbath. And they can't get past the idea that someone's been healed. It's all about the law. And it's intriguing. We're not going to spend a ton of time here, but you think about what the law does. Anytime we build up a list of rules, a set of things that try and keep people away from God or try and keep people, try and bring people to, to God, if it's a law, it will actually bring death. It will push people away from the living God. Verse 25. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. And here it is. I was blind and now I see. Like, this guy has interacted with God. He doesn't have some big theological treatise about what happened. He says, all I know, I'm blind, now I can see. But what did he do, they asked? How did he heal you? You can imagine the blind man at this time, and he's starting to get frustrated. He says, look, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? And then this is sarcasm. Do you want to become his disciples? Knowing that they had no interest in becoming his disciples. Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We're disciples of the law. We know God's truth. We get it. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. In verse 30. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. So the blind man has some, I mean, has some guts here. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. 
Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Don't you love that logic? Like You can worship the law all day long, but Jesus did something that no one's ever done. I was blind and now I see. I'm putting my trust in that. Verse 34. They still can't get it. You're born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And then they throw him out of the synagogue. Verse 35, when Jesus heard what happened, he found the man. Isn't that good? He heard that he'd been thrown out of the synagogue. Jesus actually goes to search for this guy and asked him this, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. Verse 37, you have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, said the man, and he worshiped Jesus. Isn't that good? We're going to break that down a little bit because it's so simple. It's so simple, it's almost profound. That it's simply Jesus saying, I'm the one who gives life, do you believe? In verse 39, finish off the chapter real quick. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you would be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim to see. The Pharisees didn't get it. And Jesus says, you're the ones who think you can see, but really you're blind. You're leaving people like this out of temple worship because you're worshiping the law. And Jesus is saying, when it's with me, everybody's welcome. Everybody is welcome to receive the life that I have to offer. The end of the day, John chapter 9, is a beautiful passage about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a chapter about what it means to share and talk about our faith. One of the words that we use when we talk about sharing our faith is this word evangelism. And for some of you, when I just said the word evangelism, you, you, you tensed up a little bit, you got nervous. Um, because the idea of talking about our faith, the idea of talking about God is something that we struggle with, something that either we don't do well, we've seen done very poorly. It brings out certain fears from us that are fair. Fears of what do I say will it ruin the friendship? Am I going to have the right way to talk about it? And what I want to do in these last few minutes is just give two points. Um, because I think anybody who claims to follow Jesus Christ should be sharing their faith and inviting others towards that very Jesus. And said again, I think anybody who claims to follow Jesus Christ should also be inviting others to follow that Jesus Christ. So two things. The first one's going to be this, that Jesus simply noticed people who needed him. And the second thing we're going to talk about is the invitation is always to believe, trust, whatever word you want to put in there, to believe Jesus. So first this. Jesus noticed people who needed him. Um, we can try and make this more complex, and we often do try to make sharing our faith more complex, complex than it actually should be, but Jesus simply noticed. They're walking along this dirt road. There's a blind beggar there who needed to be healed physically and spiritually. Jesus notices and interacts with the disciples, and he does that so they can see what the mission of God actually looks like. Because remember, verse 4 says that we are about God's plan for us. We are about God's work. And so Jesus is going to show them what that's about. 
that one of the most important things that we do is point other people towards Jesus. And the simplicity of it is we just notice the people around us. We just notice the people around us. That's what Jesus did. That's all he did in calling the 12 disciples as he walked around and he noticed somebody who needed to follow him and said, come and follow me. That's what Jesus sent out the disciples to do time and time again in the, in the Gospels. He sends out the 12 in Matthew chapter 10 and says, go, go and notice. Sends, sends out a group of 72 in Luke chapter 10 and says, simply just go and notice. Go and bring me to the people around you. Friends, that's the mission of the church. To go and make, say it louder, go and make. But the first word is, go. We can get so caught up with what happens in here that we forget the mission of the church is actually out there. If what we do in here does not form how we go and notice people who need Jesus, then we're messing the whole thing up. And the great thing is, and if Jesus, if you've met Jesus and put your faith in Jesus, you know this to be true. Who needs Jesus? Everyone. A trusting relationship with Jesus Christ, we believe, changes everything. We believe it changes everything. It's a beautiful thing. I remember when I lived out in Philadelphia and we were planning a church and uh, one of the first people to come and put their faith in Jesus Christ as we were sort of struggling along was this young man named Arch. And Arch was a musician, you know, and a guy that if he would have said come to church, he would have laughed at you loudly. Um, but a group of us became friends with Arch and we just started playing softball together. And as we began to play softball, we became good friends. And as we became good friends, it was just natural that we talked about Jesus, right? Because people who've met Jesus talk about the most important person in their life. And as we talked about Jesus, and as he started coming to church sort of at the same time, then eventually Arch put his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of noticing. We try and make it so complex. What if this week... All you did was just ask God to help you notice one person in your life, not new, in your normal, actual, everyday life that you do, to notice one person who needs Jesus. Maybe it's a neighbor, someone who works for you or with you, a family member that you get to spend tomorrow with. Ask God to help you notice them and then pray for them. Before you get all nervous about what you're going to say, what you're going to do, how you're going to talk about it, is this, you know, all the fear things that, that come up, just pray for them. Start by asking God to do something in, your, in their life and that maybe he would use you. So Jesus notices. The second one is this. The invitation is always to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. It's the Gospels. That's how the early church worked it out. It is just simply believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. If you've been around Crossview, we talk about this, that I believe every one of us believes or trusts in someone or something. And I think apart from Jesus, I think every other thing that we believe in or trust in, even if it can seem good, will ultimately lead to death. Whether it's a worldview, another religion, a relationship, whatever it might be, 
And it's only trusting in Jesus Christ that we actually experience life. That's what the blind man got. I was blind and now I see. I believe. And that's the whole point of the book of John. The word for believe, pistuo, is used 98 times in the book of John. You know, which you, if you understanding how you interpret literature, if it's used that much, you really should put a red flag by it and say, okay, this is sort of the point of the book. In fact, the author in chapter 20, verse 31 says, I've written all of this. And here's the reason. I've written all of this that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing, you will have what? It says life. Everything else will eventually bring death. Believing in Jesus Christ will bring life. And here's the challenge. Because we look at the journey this man had from the beginning to the end of the chapter about his understanding of who Jesus was. In verse 11, he says, it talks about him and says, that man they called Jesus. In verse 17, he's a prophet. Verse 33, he's from God. Verse 35, he's the son of man. And then lastly, he calls him Lord. And I think we can get so paralyzed by fear when it comes to sharing our faith because we think we have to have it all figured out. Or you think you have to have some exact formula about how you share your faith. I think that's one of the, one of the toughest idols to break down. Because here's the simplicity of it, friends. All you have to do is exactly what the blind man did. Here's what Jesus did in my life, and now I can see. It's that simple. What is Jesus doing now? What did Jesus do in your life? But it's just sharing what God and Jesus Christ has done in your life with the people who are in your life who don't know God. Sharing that faith is one of the most beautiful things that we get to do. So I encourage you, move past the fear. Move past those places where you are just paralyzed and begin to see this as an opportunity. An opportunity to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So for some of you in this room, you're followers of Jesus, and you get this. We talk about this at Crossview a lot. It's like, that makes sense, Brad. I'm with you. Um, we're going to walk out of this room, and it may or may not happen, right? I want to encourage you to take it intentionally this week. To actually pray for the person that you have in your mind, or maybe that you just wrote down. To pray that God will give you opportunities to say, here's what Jesus has done in my life. And it would be awesome if you had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, the other thing that I know in a room like this, there's some of you, maybe you've been around for a while, maybe you're new this week, and you read a story like this, and the person that you connect with in this story is the blind man. You've never actually put your trust, you've never actually believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in Jesus, that freedom, that hope that you've been looking for can actually be found. And my invitation for you this morning is to simply believe, to pray to God right now in your heart and say, God, I believe, I trust you for all that I know about you at this very moment. 
that you are alive, that you forgive, that you bring hope, that you want, whatever word you want to leave, say, to simply say to God, I believe, I trust. Amen? Father, God, for those of us in this room who know you, who trust you, but we often tend to live lives that um, we're frightened, we're by so many things when it comes to sharing our faith, that we don't have the right thing to say, that maybe we don't have the right formula, that we're going to mess it up, that we're going to ruin a friendship. And God, give us, specifically me, God, give us courage to find people that need you and to be okay just simply pointing them towards you. To say what you've done in our lives, how you have saved us and redeemed us and how you're working and to invite them into that same relationship, God. And Lord, for any in this room, even this morning, have said, I believe. And maybe don't have it all figured out, God, but they are choosing to believe in you this morning, God. I pray that that faith would right now start to grow. God, that they would choose to tell somebody about it. They would choose to contact us, God, so that we could help them figure out what that relationship means for them. You are good. You are loving. Do that good work in each person here this morning. To your praise and your glory. Amen.